To paraphrase Hunter S. Thompson, when you get locked into a serious beer collection, the tendency is to push it as far as you can. Cheers. Son of a bitch! Give me a drink! Takeover Podcast exclusively uses the Physics Draft Beer System to dispense all of the beers we review. Physics utilizes sonic wave technology to create the ideal density microphone head on your beer. It delivers a fresh from the tap draft beer experience that you can enjoy at home or on the go with no need for any external gas or additives. Just four AA batteries. Physics tasting is believing. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Tap Takeover Podcast. We're out of the solid non-fail studio this week and on the road for a brand new segment, our Home Brewer Interview Series. We've got a live tasting in progress, some topical brewing event news, and lots of opinions. Jim, I'm looking at you. <laughs> we got some great feedback on our first four episodes. We're making some minor tweaks to the programming. We've invested in some brand new equipment, as you can probably hear. And amazing listener feedback has been a major part of that. Stay tuned for new shows where we'll roll out some of these improvements. And as always, you can get the latest info by following us on Facebook. Send us more questions and feedback to taptakeoverpodcast at gmail.com. We have a fun episode in store for you today. We'll be sitting down with Dave Olson from WisconsinBreweriana.com. He's going to be giving us the lowdown on his website, his beer memorabilia collection, his beer cellar, and his home brewing experience. Uh, Award-winning home brewer here, folks. And this is going to be our first two-part episode. But before we get into that, as we said, we're looking to improve how we describe our beers during the tasting. The certification for beer aficionados is the Cicerone. Jim, can you give us a little little background on the Cicerone? program. Sure, so the Cicerone certification program is an industry standard identifying those with significant knowledge and professional skills in beer sales and service. So you can really think of it as a beer sommelier for those familiar with wine. And it was really started by Ray Daniels uh, in order to create standards within the industry so that both industry professionals as well as consumers can be sure of the knowledge and skills possessed by current and prospective beer servers. Well, that's actually where kind of led me to, to Dave. And I was at the Mobcraft and I noticed I spied the pin, the Cicerone pin. Well, first of all, before we get into that and your experience and your journey so far, thank you for taking some time. We really appreciate it. You invited us into the your cave. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, awesome. We'll have some pictures on our website. It's an honor to be here. Right? Yeah, so thank you. Cheers, cheers everybody. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Thank you. All right, before we get started, Dave, what are we drinking here? We're drinking one of your, uh, I guess, award-winning beers. Yeah, I, uh, um, this is a Weizenbach recipe that I tweet from the Northern Brewer catalog. And uh, I've just been hanging on to this because it was lost in a box. Um, okay. It's not so much aging, but you lost it. it. In 2011, it won a gold medal at the Schooner Homebrew Fest. And in 2012, it won a gold at the Midwinter Homebrew Fest. Nice. So it was, uh, you know, I can't take credit for the recipe. I just tweaked someone else's. But I have uh, good water here in Oak Creek, and I have a good technical side. Uh, as anyone who's homebrewed before knows, the competitions are kind of subjective to who's tasting uh, in that class of beer when you're competing. So right. Excellent. No, it's very good. It, so yeah, I thought maybe good. something uh, out, of, out of box here would 
be kind of interesting. No, it's guys. great. It's a rare treat for us. I mean, we, we really appreciate yeah. it. All right, Dave, so tell mm. us where you're at as far as the Cicerone. I know there's four levels. Uh, where are you at with your journey? Yeah, I just passed the exam for Cicerone Server, so, which is level one of four. And they have Cicerone Server, Cicerone, Advanced Cicerone, and Master Cicerone. And I have aspirations uh, to go for Master Cicerone. I learned a few lessons when I took the Cicerone mm-hmm. Server test. I was kind of skeptical in the past of the Cicerone program, and I talked with Mike Romans here in town uh, about his Master Cicerone certificate. Uh, and he gave me some feedback that was actually more inspiring for me to look into it deeper. Recently started a job as a beer server at a local craft brewery, and I thought that uh, becoming a Cicerone might be something I'd like to do. Yeah. I also have probably in the back of my head, I would like to be able to consult in the beer world. Perhaps, you know, one of my interests is pairing beer with food. That I would really, uh, I think there's a market for restaurants to learn about uh, adding to their sales by pairing beer that they might already have on tap in-house with the recipes. Without getting something fancy or having to go outside. They already have this. Yeah. So there's quite a few good restaurants in town. They have good beer in-house, but when you're looking at the menu, very few of them do you see a recommendation for that particular item. Mm -hmm. What really interested me about it was more being able to describe what I am tasting. Taking it to the next level of, is this beer good? Is this beer bad? And not really knowing how to formulate that into words. So I think not even just the the good and the bad, but the gray areas. Right. Like, where, where is this hitting my tongue? The, the salty, the sweet, the, the hops, the, the malt. What is that process like in the, in the actual training? So, yeah, for you, like when you approach a beer for the first time, yeah, what is that? Well, what do you go through? One of the things I do with beer that I purchase is, um, you know, I, I, I'm a subscriber to, and I, to Draft Magazine, and I, I look for constant input and try things I haven't seen before. I tend to, like everybody else, lean towards styles I already enjoy. Uh, One of the things I started to do recently is not look at the story on the label. And what I don't want to do is get what the brewery says the beer should taste like. So I like to taste the beer first and kind of go back while I'm sitting there enjoying it and then pick up the bottle and and see if some of the notes and flavors that I'm getting are actually what they intended. And I I used to be a lot more careful and structured. Like I would go to a, a beer fest and take notes while I was walking around tasting, and I kind of abandoned that. And, and the Cicerone connection to me right now, to go anywhere in the Cicerone levels, you have to have an understanding of the, the style guides. So the style guides really represent a lot of classic beers the way they should be. Craft brew isn't that way. A lot of craft brew and the fun we have when we explore it is because it's not true to style. And uh, the Cicerone program to me was about giving me a notch in my belt as far as some expertise on the topic. And there's plenty of things I've learned. Um, I learned I didn't know all the styles as well as I thought I did. <laughs> uh, but I also found that there's quite a bit of knowledge that people like us enjoy when we taste beer and we share beer and we care for it. Like we all know that it should be stored in the dark. And we don't want light anywhere near a beer. We don't want oxygen in our homebrew. There's a lot of stuff that we kind of take for credit. And I think the Cicerone program, if you take it, like I was an experienced homebrewer, but not super experienced. I still learned quite a few things as I studied for the test that perhaps I didn't even consider before I took the test. And and I think it makes me a better server for my employer. So what are the basic areas of knowledge that the Cicerone program teaches and promotes? Uh, the, The Cicerone 
server part, which is that phase one, is really a deep dive into the handling and care for beer. For instance, how is beer stored? Uh, you know, what temperatures? How about leaving the, the keg of beer in that environment for 24 hours before you tap it so that the temperature doesn't change so much that it outgasses all of the carbonation. There's information you're testing on about serving. So, you know, why do you pick a certain glass? How do you hold the glass? What angle? You know, you never get that faucet in the glass and into the head. Keep it distinct. Why is that? So it doesn't get infected. You always use a new glass. You always rinse the glass so that you're rinsing off residue or even if the glass was dried with a towel, you're rinsing out the hmm. particulate that could be there. And you'll see any good bar that has uh, an interest in promoting good beer will have a glass rinser. There are quite a few bars that don't, and you will taste it. You'll do a flight, and you'll taste all five beers taste the same. It's because the residue of the sanitizer is still in the glass. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but yeah, I it's have. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. Point, yeah. So what was your reaction when you first looked at the syllabus, uh, given that you didn't have a deep background in the industry? And uh, what did, how did you prepare for the test? Um, so I looked at the test and I realized there was some stuff I didn't know. There's 39 beer styles in the syllabus. And I did some online hunting for how other people had studied for the test, but effectively I crammed for the test. I went through every page of the syllabus and I'll be honest, that sounds like a fun night. Pretty much, you know, had a, had a couple of good beers, and I went through the syllabus, and when I saw something I didn't think I knew, I looked into it. After you create an account for yourself in the Cicerone website, you have access to a, a downloadable, uh, like a PDF practice test. And they also have like a 10 question online test. The things that I learned from studying it kind of filled in knowledge I already had. And I think the only reason I passed the test first try was that I had been a home brewer. And some of the questions on styles in the test actually reflected beers I had already brewed. And I was used to looking at the beer judging guides and kind of thought about beer. So I think if you want to become a Cicerone, you kind of got to commit to learning about the different styles from the BJCP, which is the Beer Judging Style Guides. Uh, it's published on the internet. You really have to know your styles to answer a multiple choice question where they give you the color, the ABV, and the IBU range, and which one of these beers is it? Is it the Hellesbach, the Bach, the Kolsch, or the Pilsner? Well, you can immediately get rid of the Kolsch and Pilsner because of the wrong color, but the two Bachs are the same color. Mm -hmm. Which one is, well, you have to know the ABV range to pick the, was well, not the Hellesbach, but the standard Bach, because it has just a point higher alcohol range. Wow. So they do get into the nitty gritty details, and it's my belief, and I'm speculating right now, that as you go further up into the Cicerone levels, the knowledge of your styles gets more detailed Cicerone server level the style questions comprom comprise about 40 I think 45 percent of the questions on the test the serving and caring for beer is about 35 percent uh, a few history and other odd questions about beer I'll tell you what talking about uh, serving and caring for beer uh, let's talk about some of the beers that we're drinking tonight and you've got a pretty well put together list who's taking over the taps on the tap takeover podcast tonight so tonight since we have Dave here who's an official Cicerone um, I pulled a couple Different styles of beer out of out of my collection in the basement. We have the Atomic Whale, which is from 18th Street Brewery, and it's a co collaboration with McKellar Brewery. Came out in February of 20, 
2016. It was cellared one year. It's a rye Russian Imperial Stout with cherries added. Next we have the Grand Reserve by Unibrow out of Canada. It's a French oak bottle fermented dark ale bottled in 2015. Then we are going to the Weyerbacher Reserva 2015. It's an American wild ale fermented on red raspberries and with a blend of Saccharomyces and Brettanomyces yeast and lactic acid bacteria. It is unaged a year in oak barrels. Then we're going oh, to... Yeah. So we've got a little bit of episode four bleeding into episode five. Sour, sour Jesus is coming back for us. <laughs> Someone converted. Not coming for us. Coming back. <laughs> then we have uh, Urban Decay by Dark City Brewing Company out of New Jersey. It's an imperial stout that has been aged in Cabernet barrels. Then I believe you, Alex, you brought the Amber Smash Face from Three Floyds, which that, was brewed last right. February. We're, we're going to do a little experiment. We've been talking about how IPAs sometimes should and sometimes shouldn't be aged. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've got this Amber Smash Face. If anybody was around the Midwest last year, you would have seen this uber-hopped red ale. Uh, it was a collaboration with... Uh, the band Cannibal Corpse. And basically, it, it shouldn't still be around. <laughs> I happened to find it on the shelf of a local liquor store uh, last December, and I tried one, and it had really taken on these different notes and this different quality. So I thought, what better way to, to drink this than on the podcast, on air, a year later? So we're going to drink a year-old Amber Smash-faced uh, pale red ale from Three Floyds Brewing. I, I think it's going to be a fun experiment. Yeah, yeah, I've been really thinking about this lately since seeing the IPA that Milwaukee Brewing Company is aging in a barrel and about how the IPAs originally came about how much time they spent on the ships in a barrel and we're also about the fresh hot flavor but what is a real authentic IPA taste like? I don't know. I've never had one but uh, I hope someone recreates it and maybe this will give us a, a flavor of what it might be. Yeah, this won't be barrel aged but uh, it will have been bottle aged. Yeah, and pretty well taken care of. It was still in the cooler <laughs> and it's been in my cooler ever since. Uh, what, what else do we have, Andy? Uh, well, our guest Dave here has invited us into his home uh, for this interview with him. Has some special home brews that we've been trying. And he, what else do you have for us, Dave? Well, I thought if I was going to punish you with my home brews, I ought to at least serve you some really good beers. I, <laughs> I dipped into my beer cellar, which is basically a stack of boxes of beer. And I found some old dogfish head. And I think it's not dated, actually. It's got to be at least 2011-ish. Um, right. I've got a Raison d'Etre Extra, which is barrel-aged version of that Belgian ale. And I have got uh, some Worldwide Stout. So I noticed that you guys have a bunch of stouts on your lineup, and I thought, well, let's add a little bit more stuff because <laughs> We're fans. I love yeah, Imperial Stouts. I, I love them, too. And Clearly we I, haven't learned anything. I thought, it's a, <laughs> I thought it's a closer, you know, oh. just in case we are overachievers today, that we could try some old 120-minute IPA. Oh. Oh, okay. Well, that's we talk yeah. about uh, it's a good connection with so, your question. Yeah, I mean, if that's a when the dogfish head was originally distributed here, uh, it's got to be a few years old, and so yep, that's uh, right about when they stopped distributing temporarily. Is right about when I bought that. So again, oh. comparing and contrasting beers that should be aged versus beers probably not so much, and, and see how they come out. Yeah, yeah. The dogfish head one twenty really defies the aging of an IPA postulate. Yeah. 
And it's a perfect example, like you're talking about, of something that's literally designed to age. It, it, it does come in at, what is it, 13 14% alcohol by, yeah. by volume. It's a big, big boy. It's a big boy. So it's in that range that we talked with Russ Klisch about, about cellaring beers. So mm-hmm. it is an IPA, which you would think wouldn't be cellarable, but it's in that range. So, you know, yeah. let's see, well, we let's see how it does. Too. I want to get just your, your opinion of different styles of IPAs, just, just in the country alone. Because, I mean, I feel like the Midwest has more malt, malt backbone to their IPAs than if you go to the East Coast with the hot bombs, you know. Yeah, the East Coast do the New England style. Yeah, yeah, the New England style with the uh, the brewing yeast that, that adds that, that kind of orange juice kind mm-hmm. of kind of texture to it. Absolutely. I think we've gone through recently a phase where people are backing away from the classic West Coast in your face. Uh, and they, they went into a phase of citrusy and piney and resin kind of IPAs. Something I see transitioning today actually into people exploring more imperial IPAs. So they are not hot bombs, but they might be more boozy and they might be more like your example here where you accidentally save it in the box you forgot about it. It might taste pretty damn good. So what are we actually trying right now, Dave? Uh, this is uh, Belgian triple. But it, you'll notice it's actually more like a Belgian quad yeah, in color. It's about 11%. And it's just to warm me up, kind of appear to get our discussion going, I thought, today. Yeah, beautiful and I made this. Color. This is the last bottle yeah. that I own. So this is the end of it. Oh, wow. Thank you. A really great aroma as it warmed up. I could really get a lot of the acetals uh, coming from the aroma. Yeah. Definitely smells like a triple. It was actually never an award winner, but it always kept really well. You can see I had it in a bottle, a Belgian, true Belgian bottle. So how much would you make in a batch? Like how many of those bottles? Well, I made five gallons of beer, and I only saved up a dozen true Belgian bottles and corked them. So uh, we, we talked about some of the beers that you're bringing out for us out of your cellar. Would you say, let's talk about your cellar collection. Uh, is most of your cellar collection uh, homebrewed stuff? Uh, that you've done yourself is it uh, do you have some whales in there i would call it hoarding so, <laughs> quite a few years ago that's a fine line my friend it's a fine line i, I, I feel you on the hoarding <laughs> i actually quit home brewing for just over a year and a half because i had too much beer on hand that might sound insane but what i found was after having about 30 gallons worth of beer available that i was feeling guilty buying more beer in the store to try new things and i cut off production for a while so i could use up and share and deplete the stock so this year actually is the first year i brewed in two years and and my homebrew is probably majority of what i had aging i don't know about you guys but i have a hard time you know stopping myself (laughs) from cracking into something that's a year or two old that i know was really good when it was fresh i used to keep a full inventory of what i had Wow. And uh, I actually, you know, five years later now, I don't even keep track. It's it's in closed boxes, and I just when the I don't want to run out to Woodman's or one of the local shops, I go rummage in the box and go, oh yeah, I forgot I had this here. <laughs> so uh, it's out of sight, out of mind. It's more of my. Uh, now, do you label everything in the boxes too? No. So it could be good good training for your sister own test, right? You just <laughs> grab some out the box and figure out what well, it is. My my homebrew is labeled <laughs> on the caps. I always put a couple. Okay. initials uh there's been some uh, initials i forgot what it was uh, <laughs> gotta go look up in the records and see what it might be but i actually haven't brewed you know hundreds and hundreds of batches of homebrew i'm actually probably a lot less than you would imagine we're sitting here next to my bourbon barrel porter cask it's a real bourbon cask that i bought through the aha um well, i, have, I haven't used it recently it needs to be uh yeah you gotta use it i better ramp up production this next month and put a bourbon barrel porter back in there 
having a bourbon barrel uh, sitting on your coffee table is a it, it's really bringing the room together. It's a, <laughs> it's a beautiful display. Well, well, this is actually a pretty good transition from like just your collection here. Looking around, you got so much stuff. Can you tell us like a yeah. little bit about like so what your audience can't see is oh going. this is what uh, Jim McCabe would say this makes for great, great radio. radio. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll have yeah. some pictures I like I said. We will be taking yeah, some pictures and we'll be posting them on the website as well as the uh, the Facebook site. You know what? Actually, before we get into the whole collection, this uh, the Cicerone magazine or study guy would say my glass had a hole in it. <laughs> so I, we got to get some more stuff. We'll pull something out of our collection first, Dave. Well, what do you want to try first? Well, I think since you have all those big beers. Let's do it. Oh, the sour hour continues. All right. All right. We'll be right back. That's right. And now for some current beer news. Coming up in March here, March 6th, we have KBS Week in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, it's the beginning of their release of their annual KBS, the Kentucky Brand Stout. Uh, should be hitting distro uh, starting April 1st nationwide. Get to the liquor stores early when this comes in because otherwise you won't be getting it. Next in California at the beginning of March every year, Churchill's Finest Hour release party called the Renaissance Party. It's released every year. It's a fantastic barrel-aged stout. I've actually had I've gotten a couple of myself via trade. Super limited. Tickets sell out on brown paper tickets within seconds. One ticket is only going to get you one bottle of this limited edition beer. Also, March 12th, we have Hunapu Day in Tampa, Florida. They've solved their issues with reproduction of tickets, and they're actually holding it at a festival grounds in Tampa, Florida this year. Parabola is coming end of March, beginning of April by Firestone Walker. And locally, we have Ray's Grain that has announced their next limited beer release strictly from the brewery Lace Trace Doctoris, a Belgian quad brewed with 100 pounds of Pinot Noir grapes and aged in oak barrels for six months. No release date has been set yet for this beer but their last limited release number 100 sold out an hour and a half. Also coming up this month and next month for beer festivals, you have Madison on Tap, March 4th. So put this one in your in your pocket for next year. First Saturday in March is Madison on Tap every year. You have the Bell City Racine Brewing Festival, also the same weekend. And you have the Heidel House Brew Fest on March 25th. Coming up in April, come visit the Tap Takeover crew at Stein and Dine at State Fair. That will be on April 22nd and on the 20th. 23rd, make sure to get your tickets for Crafts and Drafts at Serb Hall. Buy your VIP package and get a limited edition sampling of Ardia and Cygnus from Central Waters, the number one rated stout in the world this past year. And I'll tell you what, if you're one of the first few people to join us at Stein and Dine, you will be able to try a Central Waters 19th anniversary beer that was released First people to our booth at Stein and Dine, come check us out. first so we're gonna go with uh reserva 2015 from wirebacker we actually had a request from dave he wants to try out the physics with it with the sour so we're gonna go ahead and do that cheers boys all right all right so dave thoughts on the reserva that's really a great sour and i thought that uh physics is it's an interesting technique that they use i'm a scientist a chemist at once upon a time and i think that's really a great great nuance to have some beer with well it's gonna hold that carbonation in the beer with keeping the you know the home the head retention on top of it, it certainly does it really i mean it's, it's leaving a nice lacing on the glass 
pretty cool piece of technology. I haven't experienced yet. <laughs> so let's let's talk about this beer as a as a trained Cicerone server. What uh, what should we be tasting in this sour, and what are you getting out of it that the average layperson may not? I, I keep going in for another sniff. You know, you're supposed to do a, a short sniff, and then maybe a couple, or you can put your fingers over, and your smell is 80% of your taste-ish. You know, there's a different t- t- statistic every time you look that up, but I'm not getting a lot of aroma, and I don't know if it's because I'm congested. Or you know, to just... piggyback on that, actually, when we've been putting stuff through the physics, the smell has been the Intense part. So it's weird that you're not picking it up. Maybe I think it might be you, you might be congested. <laughs> or maybe it's because it's been aged a while too. With, a with 20, the raspberries. 2015? Yeah. Yeah, is that right? 2015. Yeah. Okay. So the raspberry flavor is already. Oh, yeah. yeah, we're just over two years on it. Yeah, I'm getting a lot of the raspberry in the finish, especially. Yes. In the taste. And I was mentioning earlier, you know, cranberry, raspberry are great for sours because they're complementary flavors. Yeah, I think that the tartness really does cut through some of the. Some of the sour, you know, I'm pretty, pretty vocal, pretty adamant about this, but I'm not a huge sour fan, and I, I could, I could do one of these. These are, this is pretty good, pretty decent. Yeah, there's uh, definitely a lot of acidity in this. I mean, it's not short on sour. So I, I'm getting a, a lot of that kind of sour bouquet. I don't know what to call it on the nose. Definitely, like you said, the raspberries on the back end. Sour Jesus is kind of, you know, making me a part of the flock a little bit with this one. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. See, to me, I'll, I... go, I'll go visit the sour Jesus, but I don't know if. I'm Converting you're, not, you're not committing to that <laughs> relationship. You're a Christmas uh, sour. Yeah, yeah. Like, a, like a Catholic cheaster. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you say agnostic, and agnostic yeah. sour. You're aware it's there, but you don't. You don't necessarily. Priester. Well, I, I like to think about food when I'm drinking beer, and I'm kind of trying to decide what I would like to taste this with. Oh, that's interesting. And I and I think like this would be a good complement to Thanksgiving meal. I'm still thinking about the cranberries, but do you have oh. some? Uh, the real nutty flavors of wild rice, the turkey and gravy. and So uh, now because you said that was your interest, do you always think of that now when you try beer? Like, what would um, I eat with this? I that's... do, yes and no. I, I don't need to decide what I want to have with a Pilsner. <laughs> but when I'm tasting a, a, an aged beer or a sour, I tend to kind of think of what kind of complementary flavors I'm tasting. I, I like to think about food pairing. If you have something like a just an imperial chocolate stout, maybe not so much, but maybe there's a chunk of chocolate you could try with that, which really makes some of those flavors pop. I think with a sour, some citrusy food or maybe a cheese that was really sharp would really pop with this. Part of exploring beer, for me, the fun of it is... Awesome. So going back to your cellar collection, do you have any sour whales in there? Anything anything you're kind of proud of? I have zero sours in, nope. my, wow. in my cellar. Wow, okay. He needs to come to Sour Jesus. <laughs> Even I have one sour. Yeah, I got a couple sours token now. Token sour. One token sour. This, this was one of three that I, I had. Kinda, I have a couple of Grand Crews. I might have to look and see if... Have you brewed any sours? I have not. Okay. So you've um, stuck away from the sours. Yeah, and traditionally, or in the past recent history, I didn't pursue them that much. Only recently, uh, my new employer, for example, existence is their, one of their sours, and uh, they had some raspberry and cranberry-flavored versions which I thought were really excellent. As far as aging sours, the acidity and the chemistry that goes on, that is an experiment that I could get behind. Because I really think that when you get beyond the artistry of craft brewing, uh, there's the bottom science that's still in there and the chemistry of what's going on in there. I just haven't had a 
the opportunity to put it in my own cellar. It might be because I might have drank the good ones first. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things that we've been saying intrigues us about that whole aging of sours. It's like, I guess, a known thing. You can age them as long as any beer, but never, I've never had an aged sour. I've uh, never even come across one, I guess. Lambics are one of the styles that can age really, really long term. Well, we're going to go ahead and just keep on aging them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, boys, you want to roll into the next brew? Yes, I would. I, I'm taking it back. I, I'm not sure I could do a full one of these. <laughs> it does. It gets really sour after a while. The more yeah. sips you take, the more yeah, sour. It warms up a little bit. Mm. Warms up. That one's a little too sour for me. I changed my goal. <laughs> Just like to give a shout out to Greg Taylor, uh, former brewer at Weyerbacher, uh, who I got this this uh, Reserva through uh, via trade. Thanks a lot, Greg. So leading right into our next beer, oh, we have the Atomic Whale, which is a collaboration between McKellar and 18th Street Brewery out of Gary, Indiana. This was bottled back in February of 2016. It was cellared one year in rye bourbon barrels, and it is a rye Russian Imperial Stout with cherries added. And actually, it says right on the bottom, that 20% of beer sales actually went to save the whales. That's awesome. So, you know, it's funny you should say McKellar. You'll see on my bar I have a War Pigs growler that I picked up when I went on a trip to visit McKellar. I went on a business trip with my wife, but I visited McKellar. <laughs> That's how it <laughs> works. McKellar bar. And as a segue maybe from your discussion about sours, the first sour I ever had that I really enjoyed, I had at McKellar Bar in Copenhagen. I ordered it by accident because I took the name off the wall, off the chalkboard, and I ordered it, and I tasted it, and I'm like, is this a sour? And they're like, oh, yeah. And I believe it was a 100% Brett Sour Wild Ale, and it was just delicious. And I'm like, oh, now I'm going to like sours now. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've always really enjoyed McKellar's beers, and visiting the McKellar Bar and bringing some beer home with me is a treat. And I really love, I, I'm going to say it, they're my favorite. Wow. McKellar is my favorite brewer on the planet. The collaborations they do with other people, like what they do with uh, the War Pigs Brew Pub. I had some barbecue there that's better than anything I've bought in town. And the beer is fantastic. And one of the things I've always appreciated about Keller's beers is nearly everyone I've ever opened up and tasted has been wow. Even the sour I had was wow. And now we're drinking this. Is uh, what is the style again? It's a rye Russian Imperial Stout. Yeah. It's got legs. It smells like chocolate. It's, it's just an amazing beer. Delicious. It's it really it, is. It's. This, uh, for our listeners... You guys too. are going to come over every week now. Right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're... Yeah, we were talking every, earlier. I actually picked this beer up in a Every train. stop has invited us back, yeah. so yes. This is a spectacular beer. For our listeners who don't know, uh, this is considered a whale. This is, you know, like Captain Ahab himself going after so Moby Dick. Limited is, one-time release. Exactly. This is the sort of beer that you search out. Dave, do you, do you do any of that sort of thing? Do you do any beer trading? Do you search out beers over the internet? Um, 120 Minute, the first one I bought off of eBay. Um, really? Yeah, literally. Uh, I'm not sure how it happened, but it showed up in my doorstep and I was thankful. <laughs> <laughs> You've yeah, broken many laws, they've, my friend. They've, 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 they've ramped that down now, but that was a while back. Um, well, you were buying the bottle; it just happened to be filled. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was horrible. Just a tragic mistake. But I think I paid like twenty dollars for it, wow. and I was willing to do it because they had quit distributing to Wisconsin, and I just I had to try it. I'm willing to spend money on unusual beers. This is a Stone Citricado IPA. 
<laughs> so this is this year I bought this. I've actually is, seen an arrogant bastard, actually a double bastard with the same type of style. So this is, is a, a this is a large magnum bottle. science bottle for those who may be familiar with wine it's, bottle sizes. And oh, as, we're definitely gonna take a picture of that one. <laughs> as a home brewer, I bought this because it had beer in it and it had a flip top bottle I could reuse. So I have designs of bringing this out to the campfire later this summer with something I made, maybe my Russian Imperial. And uh, what I tend to do, to answer your question more precisely, is I do search out beers, and I tend not to sit on them. Uh, If I can acquire some beer, I haven't tried trading yet. I probably have some beers that I could trade well, but this one's empty. Sorry, it's gone. (laughs) But it was, uh, you know, it was designed to be, it had actually a 30... 30-day shelf life. It was an IPA that was designed to be consumed quickly. So it was basically a drink by addition. Yeah. This was uh, the Stone 20th Anniversary Citricado IPA. So they really intended us to try this and dispose of it quickly. Wow. Um, I'm really much better at the disposing of it quickly than that. <laughs> I, think, I think we all are here. <laughs> cheers, cheers to disposing of beer quickly. Yes, cheers, cheers. cheers. So let's, uh, let's talk about this beer that we're drinking. Let's talk about the whale. It is yeah. delicious. I mean, I'm getting rye right off the bat. Are you guys getting that? Yeah, it's super spicy. I, I want to say, I don't know if it's the rye, or it seems like there may be a smoked malt. Yes. Or it could oh, be yes. like a ton of rye. I, I could get, be like spicy. I get chocolate on the nose. Yeah. Yeah. Big time, like in my so face. It's pouring something super smoked. dark, a very, very thin head. Even the physics machine could yeah, super barely get a head on this thing. Super low carbonation on it. Really good legs when you swirl in your glass. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, that stuff hangs onto the glass. Like just clings. Yep. Suction cup. <laughs> so but I, I, I hear you, Alex, as far as the smokiness. Yeah. Oh, well, matured. Yeah, definitely getting some smokiness. Matured alcohol. And I, I love that the cherries. The, yeah, I don't get much of the cherries. Very similar. No. Very similar. Um, yeah. I get the cherries if I... Have you, have you guys tried chewing your beer, so to speak, where you use your tongue with that mouthful and push it up into the roof of your mouth a couple yeah. times? We're going to do that right now. Yeah, let's try. <laughs> wow, that's a different yeah, flavor. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> wow. There's the cherry. Wow. Tips so from the there, pros. There's, there's <laughs> the pro tip from the Cicerone. Uh, okay, so just to be clear, I'm not a Cicerone yet. I'm a Cicerone server. They didn't teach me to chew my beer. Oh. I probably read something in Draft Magazine or something like that. <laughs> no, but that's a good tip. Really, this is a very good tip. Your, your palate is, again, your smell and what you taste. And if wow. you can actually use your tongue and force some of that into some of those receptors that aren't going dormant as they get hit with some alcohol, you get a lot different flavor that's my tip of the day i guess <laughs> well uh let's Pro give tip. our listeners a quick tip of the day uh you guys should go check out this website that dave has put together uh, wisconsin breweriana it's a fascinating website as a history major in college i can really appreciate the history behind beer and and dave has delved right into it dave what what can you tell us about the history of beer and just the way that this amazing thing that we all enjoy has evolved over the years well one of my favorite tv shows was uh was how beer saved the world but if you if you look back into history it's really interesting to me that they they find you know we talk in the gregorian calendar right now before christ and but three thousand years ago they were making beer and they found recipes in mesopotamia you know the giza pyramids were built by paying the laborers in beer and i think the history of beer has influenced agriculture how much grain do you need to live over the winter before you can start growing more grain. I think a lot of grain production of barley in agriculture is attributed to 
probably someone accidentally fermenting some barley in a vessel that they were holding it in. But before the Egyptians were online, the the culture was already farming barley and getting, you know, agriculture was getting online because they think, this is just a theory, and I'm, I'm supporting it because I like beer. Beer had a lot to do with the beginnings of agriculture. It, it's documented. Uh, there's beer recipes that are 3,000 years old, and it was a part of the industrialization of humans. Well, it's kind of the start of civilization, but not only that, but its most major role probably was in the continuance of the human civilization because that was the only way most people were able to get clean water, right? Absolutely. People in the medieval times didn't drink water. In fact, when the pilgrims were coming to America and landing, some would like to claim, with a smirk on their face, of course, that they ran out of beer, so they had to come ashore and brew some more beer. And there was plenty of clean water in pristine America that hadn't been tainted yet, but they were, you know, bent on producing some beer so they could continue their voyage. And they were so afraid of dysentery back then. It was <laughs> well, yeah. that's true, too. Not all the water at that time was as pristine as the stuff in America. People were drinking dirty water, and actually the safer way to to drink, you know, the life-saving liquids was to actually brew it. So, you know, beer has saved These are all great speculations to enjoy over beer, I think. <laughs> Which is but, where the Reinheitsgebots came along, right? Absolutely. So the German purity law of... 15, 16. You, at that time, you could use water, hops, and barley. They didn't know there was yeast yet. And yeast is a, after Louis Pasteur. I keep thinking of <laughs> him in terms of pasteurization. But he was actually looking into pasteurizing beer. So people would like to think he was looking into pasteurizing milk, and that's not true. He really was... Well, Working for the uh, the brewery community. Yeah, easier to tell the kids that it was all about the milk. <laughs> I, I may have been drinking a high ABV. <laughs> the history is something that brought me into collecting. So the room that your listeners can't hear right now is Wall to Wall Breweriana, which is memorabilia. Um, I collect only Wisconsin memorabilia for breweries. And I have stuff that goes back to 1850s here, all the way up to maybe the 60s. The only current modern thing you'll see hanging around here is I have a new Glarus drink indigenous sign. Which <laughs> you I know what? I just, did notice that. I thought it I, looked weird. <laughs> I think it's, it's low to the ground. But yeah. I really respect that particular brewery in Wisconsin for how they've gone about their business and being a true to the way the German communities were with their breweries. Uh, in America, one of the interests that I have in all of this memorabilia is, of course, the brewing history. And I think it's really interesting in Milwaukee uh, that we have such a great heritage, and it's kind of depressing to me that so many people aren't aware of it. I've got wood cases here, I've got trays, I've got signs, I've got lighted signs. It's obvious, probably when you guys walk by all this stuff, that my passion is really beyond just beer and glasses and bottles. I started collecting in the mid-70s with my father. We collected beer cans. And in the 70s, beer cans were collected. It was a huge fad. There's books and books available to reference about all these kinds of beer cans. But the fad at the time was who, who could get the most. So my father and I had between eight and 10,000 beer cans in our collection. So the house I grew up in was wall-to-wall beer cans. And at one point in time, he and another friend of his decided the fad was ending, time to sell out. So we went to St. Louis to a beer can convention. They still have those today, by the way. Um, and we sold our whole collection as much as we can. 
some of these cans here are like leftovers that didn't maybe sell and we kept them. But my connection to collecting goes back to time with my father. He passed away in 2009. A lot of my trays, uh, many of the signs, some of the pieces in this room are from him. And it's a, a sentimental thing, which I think a lot of people that collect have sentimental attachments. I probably loved beer more than he did. <laughs> he wasn't a beer, beer drinker. But we collected together. I went away to college after high school. Uh, I didn't collect anything. And there's a cone top can over there that I found while I was at school and it got me restarted in this. The Breweriana is the collection of all of this memorabilia. So my website that you're asking me about, what I'd like to do is make a reference website for collectors to display what's possible. I already know I can't collect it all. I mean, the room is full and I, I have a what I would consider a lower tier. There's other collectors out there that make this room look like Kids a comic book. <laughs> and you've got to keep some room for beer in your, Absolutely. <laughs> in your beer cave. It's neat that I'm able to host this here and for you to see this. We could talk at hours on every brewery that's on this wall. Well, I think this is a great time to break it off. Uh, we're going to make this our first part of our two-part episode. We're going to come back with Dave. We're going to talk about his Breweriana website, wisconsinbreweriana.com. We're going to talk about uh, the history of brewing, uh, history of beer in Wisconsin, and we're going to get into a few other beers so it's not that we have no more beer this time it's that uh, we just have a person with too much information so <laughs> we're gonna break this into two parts and we will see you guys next week no more beer